Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 71 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thanks so much for joining me, and if you celebrate, happy Easter to you. I've been really looking forward to this one, so we're not going to make him wait too terribly long here. If you enjoy Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, and that's the wrong button, that's the right button. If you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. And please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes, which, as if you've been watching the show, do happen from time to time. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on the GateWorld.net YouTube channel. All right, folks, it's the man of the hour. I've been waiting to have this guest on for a very long time. I was so excited when he accepted. It's not often that you get to talk to your heroes and people that you really admire, and with this show, I get to do that nearly every week. Let me welcome in Mr. Peter DeLuise. Episode 71. <laughs> It starts. Yeah, I love it. How yeah. are you? I'm very well. And to, just to add to that, that last little bit of information that you're giving your viewers, you don't have to like just this episode. You can go to every single episode on the YouTube channel and just keep pushing thumbs up all day long. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Am I right, David? Like my parents do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love your background. Did you take that? Yes. What I, a beauty. I, I was, this was on the set of uh, Stargate Universe, and I took, I'll get out of the way so you can see it closer up. You can see the detail. You can see the detail of the, uh, of the thing. It's the Jules Verne, the steampunk yeah. version of the, of the Stargate. Yeah, I've always thought that Destiny's predecessor was the Nautilus. You know, it's just... It's so friggin' cool. That was my favorite Stargate. That was my favorite set. Lucky enough to see all three of them. But they, James C.D. Robbins was brilliant. Absolutely. Wasn't he still he, is brilliant. He, I mean, well, he's still alive, but, you know, he might not be challenged as much as he, he was. I mean, because, I mean this, the, he was, the, the kind of stuff that he put out there was just breathtaking, I think. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to show you a couple of more pictures while I'm here, and then I will, I will spare you. So okay. this is... This is a darkened version from the back of the set. I, I took this as well. Mm. And then uh, um, I already showed you that one. So this is a close-up of the... Uh, the door. The, that was easy. That's the, the, the door thingy. Yes, the, the, I call it the that was easy. Do you have one of those? <laughs> yeah, the staples. Yeah, these, the, <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, Good product placement. And then, yeah, where's this? One? Okay, so this one, this is with the uh, rear screen projection in. So we right. had a, we had a practical puddle. 
that we would we would put a projection in, and that was that was championed by Jim Menard. Who yes, thought, you know, there's no reason why we because it it was so it was so cost prohibitive to show the gate with the with the uh, the uh, puddle on mm. that we would stay off of it. So Jim Jim correctly said, "Why don't we create an animation?" Take a, a very powerful projector from behind, put a put a, a projection screen in the thing itself, and then uh, just have our actors act in front of a, a, an actual screen. And there was a lot of hesitation because the uh, the visual effects department said, "Well, what if it doesn't match the look of our of our our rendered uh, image?" And and um, so there was a lot of hesitation and a lot of hemming and hawing. But finally. It turned out, you know, uh, cooler heads prevailed, and and it it was it turned out to be the smarter uh, choice because mm-hmm. then you got to, you got to see it on camera way more, right? And exactly. here's here's one over the over the little control dashboard, right? Wow, Isn't that fun! When the set is lit, it's magic. It's absolutely it magic. Is. I Although I agree, I wonder who is directing the cast and crew when you're taking all these pictures. Oh, this may, this may have been during lunchtime. I don't know. They were, or they were, or they were going for uh, maybe they were going for uh, uh, hair and makeup. So now I'm going <laughs> to take I'm, I'm going to take my I'm going to take off my background. And now I have to tell you that I felt very intimidated by your background because you have a lot of cool stuff. And of course, David Hewlett. I watched uh, quite a few of your yes. episodes, and I saw that David David Hewlett's background is. All inspiring. He's got the blinky lights, and you've got the yeah. I've got, got the the, you know, the, the, the enterprise and, and the, the rotating Atlantis. Actually, I, I've got a couple of them. I've got another enterprise over here. This was the tree topper that Hallmark released, but um, and I did not want it. And of course, my parents said, "Well, we uh, we hope you decide that you wanted it because it was under the tree this year." But yeah, no, it's uh, a lot of these are. Um, fan-made the hatak is fan-made that stargate was just revealed um and yeah the talk is just hatak is just such a better way of saying it than mothership mothership exactly yeah yeah. Yeah. something we can upload a virus into and the destiny is and the atlantis are both fan-made they're just brilliant fan creations i love them to pieces and everything else is from the show yeah so so i'm watching your i'm watching your past episodes right to try to get a feel for what you do and i, I think uh-huh. what you do is awesome oh thank you absolutely Whew. awesome okay clearly you're you're a you're a, a super fan of the show you know so much about it uh, you you have an encyclopedic uh recollection um of all the episodes it's it's like you just keep watching them over and over again they're so fresh right <laughs> and and then and then i see way back in the corner behind you it's not doing it now, but in the past episode, you've had the Atlantis model rotating. Yeah, and, and I tried that, a Lazy Susan, and it sucked because it was this cheap little motor, and it was just like. Eh, 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 and I was like, that's if you can't work. say if you can't say something nice about Susan, don't. don't <laughs> okay, don't understood. Okay, yeah. sorry. So that, then now you've got Big Big Bob over here behind you, who's yes, who, who, he's got a flashing thing on it, right? And you've got the Enterprise, and it's flashing, and I'm thinking to myself. Does he not want us to look at him? Because all the flashing <laughs> stuff. And so, then I saw David Hewlett. David Hewlett's got his his opium den, right? <laughs> where he's got the 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 the, the, the jabot of, of of colored LED lights. And I was like, I can't compete with this. So I was like, okay, what can I do? So I got a laser, and I thought that'll that'll 
that'll uh, oh you can't see it can you no there maybe maybe if i take off the lights here can you see it now no i can't no. about, oh there it is yes yeah. well that's Legit. a shit and so i was like can you do you understand what i'm saying it doesn't matter what i'm saying because you got flashy cool <laughs> lights behind. so tell me about when you first had your testicles laminated huh i i don't I didn't catch that. I can't see anything. I can't hear anything because of the lights flashing behind your head. <clears throat> well, let's talk about some so, of your toys. I see a uh, to infinity and beyond. Um, that's right. But buddy over there has got the, yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, I've got to infinity and beyond. Do I see a robot the, on the desk there? Blue with red shoes. Yeah. Tin toy. You got the tin toy there. Yeah. Okay. Like there we go. Like yeah. You're still toys. a kid at heart. And then and, uh, I, I've got, yeah. this was a crew gift I gave. Uh, this is a, a crew gift I gave. It says, you can't really see this. It says, Super Great Crew. S-G-C. Super Great <laughs> Crew. That's how old this is. I have never used it, but it's still the image is faded. Uh. I've got my, uh, I've got my noisy, noisy Noisy cricket. cricket. Oh my gosh. Don't point cricket, that at me. Baby. Wow. That's legit. That's great. What a good movie. I've got. Uh, I've got uh, several reference books, uh, one of which I wrote an afterword for. And I've got, oh, uh, this beautiful work of art, this deco. This is this is a ray gun made of glass. Wow. And it was created by by this artisan. It's upside down. Flip it is for it me. Is it upside down? Sorry. Yeah, this, shut off. This amazing artisan, if you want to do a, a frame capture of that. Okay, Jeff. I don't even know if he's, I don't even know if he's still alive, but he is called Joe Blow Glassworks. And so this is blown, this is blown glass made to look like a, a, a ray gun, almost, almost, um, yeah, it's almost circa, circa, 1960s, circa, um, uh, Flash Gordon, yeah, Flash or earlier, right? yeah. And it so blown, and I'm, I'm going, this is made of glass, and then there's just one little, um, machine pit, a bit of uh, metal here. Wow, like, this is blown glass, and like, well, the, the key to this is, uh, <clears throat> Getting the 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 glass to buy you dinner first before you get the blown glass, right? And well, I've got <laughs> I've got a predator. I'm a big fan of predators, so I've got a couple of, of predators there. You are right? one handsome person. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and there's another ray gun. Yes, so this is made of out of an air gun. This is machined out of an air gun, and this is also a, a, a beautiful work of art. And this was made by Perry Perry Lang. Perry Lang. That's wow, his, that's his aliens got you down. <laughs> so isn't that cool? Yeah, I love I love me some ray guns. <clears throat> my wife, my wife saw that I like that, and so she got me a, a, the, these choice pieces, and They're I was beautiful. like, "This is great." Yeah, and I'm then, not going to ask um, you to show off Anne-Marie next. Well, Anne-Marie's, Anne-Marie's the best. <laughs> that, that's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Then this is a junk bot that I created from uh, uh, re, re, uh, repurposed yeah. parts. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, so it's Little a, coaxial what? audio cable. Yeah. yeah. You made so that, Peter? That's, that's so cool. I made that out of, out of found out, uh, pieces. Yeah, and so that... That's a little bit of Johnny Number Five and Chappie and Wally all in right. Part, exactly. Right? Yeah. Eva. So yeah, cool, man. Yeah, I like that little guy. He's yeah. fun. And then I've got the uh, yes, the companions. 
you've got the companions, right? So I did the afterword in, in the, let's see here. I got the afterword. Let's see. And a dedication from Thomasina. You know Thomasina. Thomasina Gibson. Met her once. Yes. She's wonderful. Well, she's lovely. She 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 uh, she said thank you so much for the afterword. I'm sure you'll sell, we'll sell many more millions of copies because you did that. <laughs> and then she didn't mention at all my 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 crappy grammar or my my shitty spelling. She was like, "Yeah, it's all good." Yeah. That's Thomasina for yeah. you. You know, she's great. Yeah. And then uh, what else I got here? I got the ultimate visual guide. Yes, you, it's you a great collection. One? Yeah, absolutely. And it's up to I think season eight, if I'm not mistaken. Kathleen Ritter put that out. Yep, and yeah. I think she got Rick to do the forward on that. This is amazing. So, what she put together a lexicon that was absolutely invaluable. Yes. Uh, that was a really, really, really helpful uh, to all of us when we were writing it. And then, so, and she inspired me to, her work inspired me to, to collect all the uh, Goa'uld um, words and, and create a document of those. Because up until that time, nobody had, um, there was, you know, except for Cree and, and, and uh, the, the odd word here and there, there was no, you know, collation def, definite way of, of expressing it, and we wanted to be consistent. So what I did is I went, I had a stack, I had a, just an absolute stack of um, scripts, video videotapes. Oh, okay. right, because we had videotapes back then. We didn't, we didn't do, we didn't even do discs, right? So you watch the videotape, and you'd, you'd watch the, the 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 episode, and you'd. And I'd also cross-reference that with the script, and then you'd have um, he would the 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 Gawold would say something, and then something would happen, right? And you'd you'd have to surmise what he had said, right? And so, like there was one time I remember specifically thinking of it, where there were innocent people being held, and they were and the and the and the, and the uh, Jaffa were pointing their uh, weapons at them, and Apophis said. Something, right? Something in, in Goa'uld. And they they went they went to shoot uh, the 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 helpless uh, prisoners, and they were momentarily distracted. And then he and then Apava said something else, and I was like, well, he must have said kill them, like to execute them, right? Tech. And and then and then what? Right, of course. And then he said something else. And I was like, well, what could he possibly have said that's worse than kill them? Kill them more? Right? So I, I, had, I had a little bit of a problem trying to figure out what would, what would be after kill them, right? And then Keck, of course, uh, found its way into uh, um, the Unas language, right? Which was uh, Akeka, right? Akeka. So Akeka that, that got shortened to Keck, right? But so, so because I thought for sure that they would be influenced uh, by... Over over the millennia, they would be influenced by the the Unas, right? The stuff and behind so that, the scenes why that I, you guys did. I tried to connect those. Yeah. You know, it, 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 we can only we can only scratch the surface with so much of it. But I mean, the the work that you put in to make it as authentic as possible um, is staggering. 
you know, and it's it's a it's a testament to to all of you that it ran for 364 episodes. So something was working, I must say, you know, it was really well done. I just disappointed well, that uh, Atlantis and Universe ended when they did, but you know what? So am I. I was uh, I was I was quite upset. I was uh, I was not more upset than than Brad because that was his and Brad and, and Robert because that was their baby, but because they had yeah. created it from from scratch, but. I was pretty, I was, I was like, oh man, that's, uh, that's the end of a, of a, of an era. That's the end of a decade of, of my life and all of those wonderful creative people that I've been so fortunate to be able to work with. And then for some, you know, no matter how hard you work, eventually all shows get canceled. Sometimes you, you can walk away like Seinfeld gets to walk away from a show. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, but there are there are certain travesties that happen, like like um, in the canceling of Firefly. That's a great example mm. of, of a wonderful show that that just 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 through crappy timing and 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 bad decision making, they they uh, they ended that amazing show, right? And I and I always think it, it sometimes it's just out of your control. No, no matter how hard you work, no matter. How, how good the show ultimately is if you're up against uh i think i think um i think in the case of of a uh, firefly they were on a friday night uh, they mm-hmm. were up against uh, you know that was the death knell right that was the death time slot and they just couldn't it didn't matter how good the show was and of course everybody knows how good firefly is that told that show totally didn't deserve that the, the treatment that it got or how it got canceled. Well, let's not forget so, Sequest. You know, I mean, Sequest had, yeah. in my opinion, had really found its legs in season three. Sequest. Finding the legs of Sequest. Here we go. Here we go. Uh. <laughs> yes, Descent. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and if yeah, you're so going to go do the- that, hang on just a second. What are you getting? Oh, you're getting your stuff? I'm getting my stuff, too. On the top of my bookshelf. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, sorry. We're we're collecting our stuff. (laughs) Oh, wow. Like that? That is fantastic. (laughs) Wow, look at that. That is great. So this is... And the Gelf makeup and everything. Yeah, I'm just gonna get that out of there. There you go. Okay. Gotta take care of him. Wow. Yeah. So this is this was to make sure that all the 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 modeling, all the different skin tones, were always in the same exact spot. Yeah. So this was the this was the reference, the uh, the key rather, right? How long would it take every morning to to spray paint you up? Uh, it would take between an hour to an hour and a half at least. But first, there was the the shaving. Yes to get it down to the nub and then the the hour and hour so it was it was uh pax pax uh, makeup with um medical adhesive you know that the stuff that the, the the biodegradable adhesive that that they use to like to to um stick colostomy bags to yeah. your body and not stuff personally like, so but yes well if you did let me tell you you don't know what you're missing buddy <laughs> you gotta try that at least once so I had this on the top of my bookshelf. Yeah, show me. This is my baby. So love it. Living skin. 
Yes. Yes. It. The bioskin. Absolutely. The bioskin. I loved that design. Always loved the ship. So that, yeah, that show, that they put some cool. money into that thing. Some say too much. <laughs> so it was a very expensive show. It was, it was the most expensive show on the air for its time. Yeah. And I, I think, um, even even for today's dollars, the the the, the fee the the amount per episode was was mm-hmm. shocking. Yeah. I have to say, and I've never talked to you about this before. Uh, when the news of Jonathan's passing came about, I was devastated. That was that was so hard. It's just yes, that was. I was. Um, I always thought. I always thought that Jonathan was was. Uh, an amazing uh, actor, so talented. And very, very smart for his age. I had spoken to him uh, two weeks before he died, and he had he had just uh, made a short called "The Gainesville uh, Brothers," the Gainesville Boys or the Gainesville Brothers, and it was about two brothers who, uh, during the Civil War, when it first breaks out, and one of them decides they're going to go with the North and one of them is going to go to the South. And it was just took place in this this house, this farmhouse that they Mm -hmm. lived in. And it was his his little uh, go at at directing. And I was so impressed with, with his ability to have put this project together and found um these actors and design these shots and i was on the phone and i was just pouring my heart out because i was like dude you're a director you're a filmmaker yeah. and that and that was that was two weeks before he died and i was i was like uh i don't yeah i don't understand i don't understand what happened some people are like, hurting it, and you know you never you never know i, I didn't know I didn't know when I felt, I felt like, was I not listening enough or, you know, I, I didn't know he was in pain. I didn't know that that's where his head was at. And I, I, uh, I always think about that. Ne- never take for granted your exchanges with anybody, even you, Absolutely. even you, David. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. sir. This is, we're going to have some quality time now. You and I, right I now. really, it really means so much to me to have you on. Um, you are one of, I mean, yes, it was, it's Brad and Jonathan and Rob's baby. Largely the show can be attributed to them. Your uh, component in this cannot be understated, but before we get to that, I'd like to establish a little bit of, of background. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about where you're from, who you were as a young person and uh, how you really got launched into this uh industry if you don't mind uh sure so my i was um i'm the eldest son of of dom deloise and carol uh deloise professional name carol arthur i was uh, born a poor black child to quote the jerk uh and but when my mother took one look at me I don't think she thought I was very attractive. She took one uh, um, uh, look at me, and when it came to breastfeeding, she said, "Let's just be friends." <laughs> so I was, oh, okay, that's the way it's going to be. So, uh, no, uh, I'll, 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 I'll fast forward to the part where, when I was a little kid, I thought 
everybody worked on television and were actors because I couldn't imagine a, a better way to, to, to exist, right? I didn't understand why anybody would want to, you know, because of my naivete, I didn't understand why anybody would want to collect garbage per se or uh, dig a ditch. So that was your world. So Those was, are the people you're surrounded by. Yeah, so my, my dad would go out the front door and then his face would appear on the television. And like if he was going out to do Johnny Carson, I would go. And this is, he actually told me this story. He said, when you're a little kid, you went, you, when you go out there, you're, you're going there to the TV. And he went, yes, yes, that's what I do. <laughs> he was so proud of me. And uh, my mother and father both did musical uh, theater when I was young. And uh, Greg Garrison from the uh, Dean Martin uh, show um, discovered my father uh, on uh, doing uh, musical theater and, and on, on Broadway and off-Broadway and recruited him to do sketch uh, comedy on the Dean Martin show. And then slowly that grew into such a huge um, reoccurring uh, job that, that, that my father moved us out from New York to Corsica. Uh, not Corsica. So, so um, I mean, it, to, to uh, Los Angeles is mm. what I'm going to say. Uh, we're Italian. Um, and, and, um, we still live in the same house that we, that we, that my dad first moved us out to. And the whole time when I was coming up, I was like, my dad would bring us to the set and we would hang out in the wings or we would be an extra or, or something like that. And, uh, my dad put us in, uh, movies, uh, gave us bit parts, um, and slowly but surely, you know, he didn't want to force us into it, but he also, he also didn't want to rush, rush us. When we, when we started to express interest, he didn't want to rush us into it either. So, um, didn't want to kill it for you. It wasn't until we were of age that we got, uh, agents and then started to audition like, like, uh, regular people. And then, and then we were beyond his ability to, to give us work at that point. And then, so if we couldn't, if we couldn't deliver, we, we weren't going to get the get the part. Uh, whereas before we had, he would just make sure that we didn't suck, right? When we were in the things. <laughs> but then, then it became then it, as as each one of us came to age, my you know my both of my brothers did uh, just a huge amount of, of uh, uh, series. My brother Michael did you know one sitcom after another. Um, my brother David ended up uh, doing a, a fair amount of work and then ultimately ended up uh, doing Wizards of Waverly Place. Mm -hmm. uh, he played the dad on that, but he, he was a Disney dad on that. And then he was able to parlay that into a, you know, a ton of work because he's a very, um, you know, I guess gregarious is the right word. You know, yes, a fun, it is. Uh, and, and, and there's a cross, a crossover. Uh, oh, you interviewed him. You know him. You know him better than I do. He's my brother. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. David's a good guy, um, isn't he? Though, and he's so funny and, yeah. and lighthearted. It's hard. It's hard not to, when he starts laughing. It's hard to not laugh. In fact, you can try it, but you will fail. I agree. <laughs> um, and then, so um, pretty early on, after a, after a handful of projects, I ended up auditioning for a thing called Twenty One Jump Street. And I got that role uh, on on Twenty One Job Street, and and that shot up here in Vancouver, where I am now. That's where I'm uh, doing my part of this broadcast. Where are you, by the way? 
Phoenix, Arizona. Awesome. Is it warm there? Uh, it was 95 yesterday. It's <sighs> not the heat. It's the humidity. Am I right? I, well, I used to say that, but when you lose an AC like I did last year and $14,000 later, oh, but that's beside the you point. You don't want to lose AC. This no. is how you know it's humid. If you first go out, if you go out outdoors and then the first instinct is to drop your, drop your bag, then you know it's too humid out, right? This is true. But if you don't do the if you don't do the tea dip, right, the tea bag, then you're like, ah, it's dry, it's good. Yeah. What'd you learn on Twenty One Jump Street? What did that teach you? Well, oh, you're getting me back on track. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so so um, while I was in the Twenty One Jump Street, I I, I was. I was very keen to start to direct and have more, more of a say in the finished product. And so I, uh, I was able to finally, after a few seasons, get them to agree to um, allow me to direct. And, and, and I ended up directing three of those episodes. And then two of the producers from that show, John Smith and uh, Jonathan Glasner, okay. uh, ended, up, ended up much later in my life go, going on to a show called Stargate. So I went off and I did Sequest and I directed other things. And it, I came up here, came to Vancouver to uh, after the pilot season to try to uh, get some guest work. And John Smith, who was working on a series called Two, T-W-O, about the twins, um, pulled me aside after I had auditioned for him. And he said, if you had... Um, if you were um, uh, a resident of Canada, if you were, if you qualified for Canadian content, I could hire you as a director because I had a very good experience with you on, on uh, 21 Jump Street. And so I, I made, it, it took me a while, but I, I finally uh, established residence up here in Canada, became Canadian. I, I am a full-blown, uh, not just a resident, but a, but a um, citizen. A, a citizen, thank you. And, um, and and when the Canadians speak, I understand every word they say, every single one. It's one of us. And, and uh, yeah, he, uh, the, I called him and I said, I'm, I've got, got my landed immigrant status. I'm, I, I qualify for Canadian content. And he said, this was after about two years of, of paperwork. And I finally got around to it. And I couldn't just call it in. I couldn't just be it a resident and not be physically here. I had to physically establish residency. So I was physically here. I, I got myself an apartment. I got uh, all my paperwork done and I was so excited. I was going to maybe direct. Um, and I called John Smith up and he said, yeah, all the slots are full on, on Stargate. This was during the, uh, right at the beginning of the second season. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, dang. And I was super disappointed. And he said, but, if anybody falls out, you'll be the first alternate. And I went, oh, which sounded like, you know, like he was putting me off, right? Like he was just like, yeah, we'll see. Because I was like, no one's going to pull out. No one's going to go away and, and I'm going to be put in. And as it turned out, Mario as a party, who had been a huge part of the, the first two seasons, mm-hmm. got, uh, got a, a, an assignment where I think he was doing a, a movie of the week. He had a conflict with a movie of the week, so he had to pull out. And sure enough, uh, true to his word, uh, John Smith uh, plugged me in, and I did uh, that first uh, episode, uh, Serpent Song. That's right. Towards the end of the end of the second season, and I must have 
I must have been pressed or or not pissed off. You you choose uh, the powers that be, and I, I think they had a, a special little discussion on the side. You know, do you like Peter? Are, are you okay with him? You know, R- Richard Dean Anderson, and of course, and I think they had to have been consulted. And uh, you know, I don't know what he said. I can't quote him verbatim, but you know, he may maybe he said, "Yeah, he doesn't suck. Let's let's use him again." So then I ended up doing um, what was it? Show and tell. Right? Correct. So those are the two the the first two uh, episodes that I did on on season two for for them, and then they just kept. They just kept having me back, and then I, I, uh, I was super keen to not not only just direct, because I was so stimulated with and and the, and the visual effects and the and the, and working with these actors and having all this all these resources, right? Because I had worked on some really low budget stuff where you know pretty much everything you came up with was we can't do that. We don't have enough money for that. You know we're, we're not we can't do that. So this was really refreshing to be able to say well, what if we tried this and they're like yeah we could totally do that and uh i ended up i ended up um directing a show called demons which made me really think about and because i had watched all the episodes to that date the stack of, of cassette tapes remember mm-hmm. i told you the cassette, cassette tapes that I had seen, I had seen the the one with the with the uh, the Unas in it, but I think they had James Earl Jones as voice the voice. Guy. Yes, Thor's hammer. Yeah, he was. That was that was so that great. Was really right? cool. Much yeah. like your and the, and the sound the sound um, uh, design was so great too. Right. Well, remind me about the sound design because there's a there's a story there's a punchline to that story sure. as well. Um, so they had real animals and. Uh, this is so cool. And then we had the Unas on demons. He would come and collect, you know, potential hosts, right? And he would take them away. And I said to Brad, I said, hey, why don't we investigate? Right? That that Unas has a Goa'uld symbiote in its head, and that's what's causing him to 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 interact like a like a thinking, a relatively thinking, instead of a, a, a primordial or a, or a primitive being. Why don't we talk about the planet where the Goa'uld and the Unas first uh, came together? And wouldn't that be great? Because then we'd have all this great history. And and Brad, I think, saw how keen I was and how excited I was. And he was like, yeah, okay, uh, I will let you write that. And after a couple of false starts, he, you know, he sent me on the on the right path. And I ended up writing uh, the, the, the first ones uh for for uh him and then uh, and that was of course that was uh, with Dion Johnstone played Chaka Amazing whose namesake was for, for the the land of the lost if you're familiar with Chaka right right <laughs> um yeah Dion Johnstone was just so great I, I love that guy and then the biggest the biggest thing on the on the design of the of the because he was supposed to be a juvenile correct who was doing walkabout he was doing walkabout and and he was just coming up, so he had to be underdeveloped. He had, couldn't have the the major ching horns and the so we had to differentiate between him and the and the other older ones. And uh, I I was like, you got to make him, you got to make his costume so he can pee, 
And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, he's got those big rubber things on. And then like, you, if he can't get to his junk, you got it. And they were like, what? Were like, okay. So f- like, if you pulled up his thing, you would see that there was a big zipper where his junk was and a chain with a huge ring. I don't have a ring. It was a huge ring like this, right? So he could put his giant rubber claw and pull the thing down so he could get to his junk so he could pee. That's the kind of stuff you have to think of, right? Yeah, when you're because no, like, yeah. And and they're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. So now I'm gonna finish that other story about the <laughs> if you remember was it enemy mine. Enemy mm-hmm. mine, where I had yes, with Lou Gossett. Oh, oh, the move, the the TV episode. Yes, you're not wrong. Lou Gossett was in the feature film right. Enemy Mine, and I I I stole the title because M I N E is a mine like mine shaft, right? Or Correct. Mine enemy, and also mine because they were digging, and it was archaeology was in there. And my actors, all my actors who were who were playing Unas, would go. Which is a human way of, of expressing yourself, right? But you had to make the vocal cords strain and go. Rrr. And I foolishly uh, just assumed they would go back like they did with the Lou Gossett Jr. Unas and go. Oh, the James Earl Jones in us, yeah. James Earl Jones had, but his character had. Lion growling and, and, and bear growling. Whoa. And the sound design was great, right? Okay. But then my my episode came out and I had like five that I I, I did a, a, a you know a crowd duplication shot where I had hundreds of them. Yes. But if whenever they like Alan when Alex Zahara as Iron Shirt would, would express himself and he'd go, Allah! it would just flange his voice. So it sounded like a human being with a with a with a crappy filter on it. I was like Oh no! Why, why did you put the cool animal growl like you did with the James Earl Jones guys? Ah, how did this happen? And that, and the reason it happened is because once you directed it, all you did was turn in your cut and you'd move on to the next thing, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to supervise anything that had to do with post-production sound. Wasn't right? Sharp Sound like, doing who- post-production on Stargate? Yes, but it had been many years in between, and so uh, nobody was able to carry that ball forward. Oh say, no! This is this guy's these these beings are supposed to be had growls that are akin to animals, right? Mm. Like when Chewbacca growls, it's a it's a it's a sea lion and a and a and a and a bear and a and you know it's several different <laughs> all different pretty, thing, right? That's pretty good. So, so I was like, oh, darn, that was a missed opportunity because that and then so the, the conceit was. It was only flanged. They only just flanged a human voice because there was no Goa'uld in the, the host body at Correct. the time. And that's why the growl is different. And I was like, OK, could have been cooler, though. <laughs> you know, sounds count, too. So, so I was a little bit disappointed. I know I'm going all over the place with that, but I, I remember thinking how cool. The, the 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 Thor's hammer version was and that that coupled with demons inspired me to mm. to want to write for the for the unas and then coming up with an unas language and i was like let's do that let's let's really investigate that, that those beings and you know 
And it, we could have sympathy for our enemy, which was a, another great, I always loved that when you were able to, to like, oh, they're horrible. They're, 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 they're killing us uh, indiscriminately. And then you realize, well, it's not them. It's the global controlling your bodies. They're, they're, they're actually not that, they got their own uh, problems to worry about. Well, it's one of the great then, sci-fi tropes, you know, all the way back to like the Horda and Devil in the Dark and the original Trek, you know. Sympathy for your enemy is one of those great things that, you know, the, the, the desire, the willingness to understand another form of life or another another person, as sure. it were, which is what it's trying to get to. That's that's corner, Even, that's cornerstone sci-fi. Well, to, that, to that end, David, that's why it was so so ingenious to have Worf be part of the, the, the regular crew. Right. That's right. So we we're getting like, over wow, certain man. issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're past that now. We're on to the next thing. And yeah. Worf is a is a viable complement to this crew. So let's include him. Right. Which is absolutely not unlike what you what. That's why you would want someone like uh, Teal'c on on on. That makes sense, too. Right. That, that you have your enemy enemy amongst your your you know, if you have a turncoat from your enemy, your enemy of your enemy becomes your friend. That was slightly different than the Dagwood character that I played, although he was other, he was alien-ish. He was uh, a child. His his mentality was childlike, whereas Teal was an old soul. He was he was, you know, he's over a hundred years old. Right. right? But it's interesting. Yeah, you so put that, him in situations on Earth, and he would he would have a very childlike perception of the world. I was I think there's there's a reason where he was occasionally paired with children. Teal? Yeah, Teal himself, because I mean, the scenes with Colleen Renison, for instance, in Bane. You know, I mean, there there is a childlike nature to him. Teal and Dagwood are very similar in terms. I mean, they're both genetically modified. They're both a warrior cast, even though Dagwood was the prototype. You know, uh, there's there's a great deal of similarity between those two those two beings. I, I agree. There there is quite a lot. There there are similarities. Uh, but the difference, I guess, in my mind, the difference. What, what you're pointing out is being naive to social norms of Earth is what I'm. What I'm. Right. That's my takeaway. From okay. That. So, so if if you take that out of the equation, Dagwood was only uh, he was he, he had accelerated growth. He didn't. He, he didn't. He wasn't as old as he looked like he was, and he had very little information about how the outside world worked. Uh, and his experience interacting with, with anybody was limited. Mm-hmm. Whereas Teal had That's been the, the prime, the, the first prime of, of, of Apophis for, you know, arguably uh, at least a human, uh, a human earth human's lifetime. Yeah. Right? And he was a hundred at the start of the at. show. So yeah. Yes. Right. But he looked good. He sure I did. I look half as good when I'm on. And he still looks good. <laughs> he sure does. He's a sexy beast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want to jump ahead a little bit, if I may, to... Jump jump away. Ergo. So, mm-hmm. did you... Um... Where are you going? Are you looking at me, bum? Uh, bum maybe just a little bit. Cheeky bum lookers. Yeah, so there's... Ah, there's the card. Absolutely. Bubba-la. Yeah. Uh, there you go. There you go. What yeah, an awesome so, so my dad was, 
they approached me uh, to have my dad on the show and they said uh, i think tor alexander was the he had the seed of the idea and he pitched that to brad and then brad and tor both approached me and i was like i, I was in the principal's office and they, they said what do you think if and I was like, oh, what's gonna happen now if we had your dad on the show what you want my dad on this show, the show with the guns and the lasers and the poof, poof, poof. <laughs> what, what, how does that work? And then they explained to me that he would be an amalgamation of all their, their inner, their, the id, the inner child. And I was like, oh, my dad could totally do that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, let me call him. And um, we called him and he, he, uh, he was, he was super excited about the idea that, that he would get to get to work. He loved, my dad loved to work on anything. You know, he was a, he, he much preferred to work than, than, than not to work. And uh, he was still quite mobile uh, then, mm. not totally, but still uh, enough. And um, I said, uh, when we were prepping the show, I said, it's very important uh, that my dad have a, a proper chair to sit in. And they were like, what are you talking about? My dad needs a proper sturdy chair to sit in on the set so because because then then we'll get his best if you he can't sit in a regular director's chair and and uh, he can't be in an uncomfortable little folding chair so you, you got to give him a proper chair and they sent away and got me this really scoop them I know I'm talking about a chair on a sci-fi show but I have to tell you this chair, this beautiful chair, tons of padding, very sturdy. It was like a throne, right? And that, even though it sounds dumb, it put my dad at ease and, and it comforted him. And he could, all he had to do was just, he could sit right friggin' there, right? Right off, off camera and then stand up and then be alive and do whatever he needed to do. And then when we weren't shooting, he could just walk one, two, three, point, and just sit down, which is exactly what he needed, right? To, to give us 100%. And it was exhausting, the, the kind of stuff that he was ha- having to put through, put out, put out that energy. He runs and that show. Sh- I would, yeah, I, would, I was shooting two shots of him. Like, I would shoot his coverage, and then I would also keep his shot alive with another two shot while I was shooting the other coverage. Because I whatever he was willing to give us, I, was, I wanted uh, to get right, and he came up with so many fun, uh, fun lines that we had so much extra material. We had multiple. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, you know the Judd Apatow and stuff. He when he makes his movies, he throws in uh, uh, couplets. He'd say, "Try this joke. Try this joke. Try this joke." Uh, Steve Carell, same thing. They yeah. they try jokes on the fly. So that's kind of what was happening. Was he would try this joke and he try that joke, and then so you know Chris Judge. Or Terrell Rathery never knew what he was gonna say for sure, <laughs> and then they would laugh. Like, ah, come on, stop don't laugh. Bite your cheek. <laughs> right. And then God bless uh, Brad Wright. He went through all of the material, all of the alternate takes, all of the lo- the one lines, and he crafted. Because I couldn't do it. I mean, all I could do was give him what he wrote and you know a couple of zingers. But Brad went deep, deep in, and he got all the fun stuff. And he brought that forward. And he, what Brad ultimately cut together was just chef kiss, double, double chef kiss, right? 
And, and that experience, I treasure that for the rest of my life. I'll never forget it. I got to work with my dad. We all got to work with my dad, but I got to work with my dad. And I got to say, anytime, Pop, go for it. And he came up with such joyful, joyful things. And people still quote, you know, I, you know, I want to experience life. I want to eat pie, right? I want to eat pie. And um, how can you resist this? Right? That was his line. Yeah, no, that was your line that he dubbed. Can you resist? Well, he this? said he performed. It's funny. He performed it. And then I, I assumed the same position and I tried to imitate <laughs> him. Exactly. But I, you know, I, I did the best I could, but he was, he was determined to have me be the, the younger, nicer version of himself. <laughs> you know, like, but dad, there's way more handsome people here. We could get in. He goes, I want you to do it. I was like, okay, fine. It's all good. You were already doing cameos at that point anyway. So it wasn't, you know, it, it fit. It worked. Yes. It, it did fit. It was. It made sense to for, have, for me to be in there. Yeah. So that was a, a joyful moment, a high point for me on that show, and I will I will cherish it. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd direct him? Um, I had directed him before. Okay. On on other things, but not not to that degree, not not to that level. Uh, and and we had worked uh, together on on uh, Sequest by that point. All the That's brothers. correct. We'd also done. We did. We ended up doing the Third Rock from the Sun as well as as a group, and um, so we there was a couple and Hot Stuff when we were much younger when that was a movie that he directed. We, so there was a couple of few times where we got to work with him individually and as a as as a group. Um, and so it didn't feel like it was the only time I ever got to work with him, but it was definitely one of the most special times I got to work with him. Wow. Um. Serpent Song is so back to that for a moment. It's your first directorial My first uh, shot. That's right. Right. So that was originally Mario's a party. And then that went to you. Yeah. Okay. So that was that's Apophis. Apophis is trying to get away. And we find out so we've got a major crash, uh, a crash in the in the desert. And then we've also got where we start to see Peter Williams as Apophis. And we see him, once the Goa'uld sort of goes into a coma, we see the host body, uh, what what the host body is, is experiencing, which is really uh, interesting because that, that was a great way to help us clarify what was happening and who, who was who. And and, and to, again, give us sympathy for your enemy, right? That's right. Yeah. That's and Peter Williams was so great at that, uh, in that part, you know, speaking the ancient Egyptian and not understanding what, what, what what was happening and I just thought that was that he was quite good at that and, and then and, and all all of that came about the Goa'uld and the fact that the host bodies and the and the conceit of how it works the bad guys are are hiding in our I mean it's as a sci-fi conceit it's been around for a while we've got you've got puppet masters and and, and various things like that like and, and you've got the uh, um What's the one with Donald Sutherland with the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the attack of the, the plant people? What's oh, that? the um, oh, for crying out loud, uh, the pod people. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, yes. So it'll come to me. There, there is throughout history. There's been a sci-fi conceit that you you know the aliens are amongst us, right? And, and invasion even of the body snatchers. Invasion of the body snatchers. And then the, there was a, the the other one that wonderful one they called the. Uh, Who's the dude from Twin Peaks? Uh, um, oh. 
Haven't seen it. Uh, Kyle, 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 Kyle. And then remember the thing went into his mouth and they would take over your body and he was trying to find, it would go from person to person. Yes. Now I can't remember. So it wasn't new, (laughs) but to Dean Devlin's credit, once, once he realized that Jay Davidson's character wasn't that scary and they were like, he's just the dude, right? And he was, he was supposed to be the, the front guy, right? Uh, he was supposed to be the front man for the aliens. And then I think Dean Devlin said, we don't have much of a bad guy here. We got to figure this out. Let's add glowing eyes, a flanged voice. And then when he dies, this is the part we, we conveniently forgot about. Mm-hmm. Once he got blown up, you saw this weird looking. Uh, Almost Michelin Asgard. Man looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a white-headed, weird-looking thing, and you were like, "I don't." We'll just ignore that part, but all <laughs> the other stuff we'll take. And and so the idea, to Dean Devlin's credit, was what a great way to fix it in post, right? So Brad Wright and I guess Jonathan Glasner ran with that because that was now that was canon. That was part of the show. Is you never know if you're talking to a regular person who's pretending to be that person. Because you get a, you get us you get their their memories as well. That was right. also a conceit was that the gold would go in there, tap into your brain, bore into your brain, and then get access to some of your memories, so they could kind of fake it, fake that they were that person, right? And then so, what's nice about that is, and the same thing with Battlestar Galactica in the in the in the recreation, right? Was you never knew if you were dealing with the enemy or your friend, right? And I thought that that was a great, and also it's it's. Um, it makes your enemy more relatable, but it also makes it cheaper. It's like having an invisible enemy, right? If you if your enemies can be de- depicted by normal looking people, then you're gold, then you're right, right? And and then once in a while their eyes will glow and then they'll have uh, superhuman uh, strength or and flange and everything else. Absolutely, yeah. it was a great. Um, one of my favorite lines uh, from this is you know when when. SG one finds out what's going to happen to Apophis if he gets returned to Sokar. Uh, uh, Martouf, played by J.R. Bourne, says, "Surely you welcome this." And the looks on everyone's yes. face is like, "No, we, well, we yeah, don't. We don't Mar- welcome it." You know, I mean, we don't want right, anyone to right. anything to suffer. You know, I love that beat. Yeah, the the, the different philosophies. Well, and of course, Martouf is he's he's a war veteran. He's yeah, he's been at war with them for forever. thousands of years. Yeah, so of course he wants the enemy to suffer, but the but they were like, well, what about the host body of the guy? Like that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you do that? Yeah, uh, having ha- having various shades of gray and three dimensional problems as opposed to black and white or or not black and white, but two dimensional mm. uh, problems is so much more interesting, right? When when you start talking about um, the, the the preciousness of a, of of life. And 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 being better than your enemy, you know, raise, rising to to uh, to to or, or being on the high, the higher mm-hmm. path, right? Uh, uh, Peter Williams is regularly referenced by uh, uh, Amanda and Chris and some of the others as one of the best villains the show had. Certainly, he was the first. You know, he picked up what Jay Davidson had had introduced uh, in the feature, but I mean, he was just a giant. When he was on that screen, he took over. He was Apophis. Tell us about directing Peter. So that, that's interesting because I came in. 
towards the end of the second season. So I, you know, I, I was, I was all about playing catch up and, right. and also, you know, can, candidly and, and frankly, I will, I will tell you that, that, that I was trying to endear myself to, to whoever uh, wanted to, to possibly hire me. Right. Well, God knows so, you went through enough to get there by what you just said. So I wouldn't blame you. A fair you. amount. Yeah. So I, I watched the show all the way up into that point. And I, and up until then I realized we had only ever seen him. Peter Williams going, yeah yeah and 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 this was the first time we were actually going to see him in a in a very vulnerable position and so making him old and giving him cataracts eyes and having him call out those i was like that will haunt that should if if people are paying attention and they're empathetic or sympathetic at all everyone but teal for sure yeah yeah, that poor that poor host body that is that was that's had to endure that mm-hmm. needs you know uh, has it deserves your empathy, uh, and so that was the goal was to make sure that that happened. And of course, Peter Williams is just so so laid back and so cool, right? Like he did, he's the opposite of what Apophis is in real life. He's like it's all it's all good. Like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all good. I can't do his accent, but. You know, he had to put that rubber, old, wrinkly stuff on his face, mm. and he had to put the cataracts when he was helpless. He couldn't see, yeah. right? And he had that choke. He had that chain on. And also, we had to make him look like he was Hannibal Lecter, right? So we had to, right. we had to restrain him. And so he was completely vulnerable. If his nose itched, he was he was shit out of luck because his hands were restrained, yeah. right? And he had that rubber on his face, and he had the cataracts. And are you are you okay, man? And he'd be like, yeah, it's all good. All good. Can, you, can you scratch my nose? Can you scratch my nose? Because it itches. And I was like, yeah. How's it go? To the left. Oh, okay. Great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was an absolute joy. Yeah, he was lovely. That show is is definitely one of my favorites for the reasons that we mentioned. The visual effects in it are great. The performances are great. It introduces Sokar, who came back later on. David Palfi did a masterful performance as Sokar and later as Anubis. Um, yeah. So that Sokar, I had a, a fair amount of, uh, of fun with that. The Sokar. Um, I the wanted effect? him to look well. The, the his the way he looked right through the like iris the veininess. Or no, we're talking about okay, Jolinar's memories in the Devil You Know, season three. Because he first, the first time we see, see him, him, he's on the iris. Yes. So by the time we see him in the flesh, he's season three. Right. So David Pelfi has an, an amazing uh, speaking voice. It's, it's like it's like melted butter on toast. Delicious. And and uh, uh, but I was like, we we've got to make him look really gnarly right because he's so car everybody's going oh, so car so car so car he, so he can't just look like a regular dude he's got to look cool right and so uh, you know robert cooper i don't know if, if you i don't know if you've gone into this detail is a huge fan of, of the star wars um franchise and so it was it wasn't a mistake that that uh, that so was well, he was cowled and he was older and he was like it, it was like shades of the the the, the emperor, the emperor, right? Uh, but the other part of it was, what are the scariest eyes you could possibly have, right? And so, the the veininess, the pale, the pallor with the veininess that that was like 
a little bit of uh, a dune uh, coupled with, and then the eyes, if you look really closely at the eyes, the colored eyes, they're the exact color, which is the tip of the hat to uh, Darth Maul, which I said, I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure the scariest eyes on the, ever in the history of, of, of cinema are the Darth Maul eyes. Let's do that. Let's do the Darth Maul eyes. So they was like, okay, we, we can we can recreate the Darth Maul eyes. So, then, so I was grabbing, because my theory was, we only have a week mm-hmm. to figure this out. And uh, George Lucas had years to develop what he thought was the scariest looking eyeball, right? Uh, for, for Darth Maul. Mm. And so I was like, well, let's, let's just be inspired by that, you know, call it homage while we're at it, you know, and then, or it could be an Easter egg. Here are the exact eyeballs that Darth Maul has. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a fun little Easter egg, right? And I, I may have even expressed that on, on the filmmaker's commentary. Have you ever watched the filmmakers' commentary for for Jolinar's memories and the devil you know? For for uh, Stargate SG One in general. Yes, yeah. When they came out on oh, the DVDs, okay. I w- I listened to them all, so it's been a long time. But yeah, they were great. Yeah. So in in while I was doing in between scatological humor between myself and and Gary Jones and Dan Shea, I would occasionally put in an Easter egg like these are Darth Maul eyes. Yeah, and then I'd go back to the. The toilet humor. <laughs> and it was the only Goa'uld whose eyes glowed red when his eyes would glow. So he had obviously figured out some nope, kind of special I, I had concoction. Forgotten, I had forgotten that. I, I didn't put that on my cheat sheet. So thank you for <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. While we're on the subject of villains, we recently lost Cliff Simon. Um, do you have any words for yeah. Cliff? Uh, I don't... I... I I really, 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 really liked Cliff. I told I told you Peter Williams was pretty laid back. Cliff was also incredible, just a just a, a absolute joy to work with. He wore uncomfortable clothing. He was very accessible. He had to do multiple, like there was that the the one where he was multiple uh, versions of himself, which is very yes. time consuming and can get uncomfortable. I went on a convention to Germany uh, with him and we hit it off. We, we were just, we, we were just like, like I didn't know him outside the show, mm. but because we had worked together and because he was so laid back, he was like, yeah, let's do it. I think we were trying to, we were trying to raise money for charity a local charity there. And, you know, after a while, you're like, I'm running out of stuff. I don't know what to auction now. Right. Right. And so I was like, Hey, Cliff, what do you, what do you think? Do you want to, do you want to do like a, a body shot or something? (laughs) Uh, And he goes, Oh yeah, let's do that. (laughs) So we auctioned up a body shot. He, where he, he, he put, because uh, he had ripped abs and he was, I mean, he was an Adonis, right? He was just so in shape. And I, I think he put salt and lemon on his, on his belly and, and he put the, or I, I think he put a, a shot here and a, and a, a lime in it. And, and, you know, the fans absolutely went wild and they, and they, and they, they raised, you know, a, a fair amount of money for the opportunity to lick salt off of his belly, do a, a a shot and then and then get the line from his lips and he was all over it. he was like yeah no problem it's like i love this guy <laughs> so 
I mean, I wanted to tell a joyful story about him, but because because I have, I never saw him lose his temper or or get uh, pissy. I just thought he was just just wonderful, and I and I, I really enjoyed working. With him. I didn't get to work with him as much as Martin Wood did, mm. but uh, I I really thought he was amazing. And, and Andy Makita, I think, worked with him quite a lot. Of, but I mean, so I, I I rarely got the ball episodes, the the the, the character that he played. There ball. was all. The ball, the ball episode. There was one story that he told me, and uh, it was, and I hope you'll forgive this. It was, it was a disagreement about. I, I'm pretty sure it was off the grid in season nine, and it's one of the many times where ball has it has passed. In this, in this case, he blows up on his mothership, and he said to me that you directed him that. Okay, Cliff, when when this thing goes, I want you to scream. I'm interested to see if you remember this. And Cliff was like, Peter, there's no way Ball is going to scream in this situation. When the thing blows up, I, d- I don't think I can, I don't think the character would do that. And and you were like, according to him, he's like, wait, you're not going to scream? He was like, I, I don't think I can. <laughs> it just doesn't fit for the character. You know, and, and to, to me, this says this is an actor who really feels that he knows that role and knows what that character would or wouldn't do. Yeah. Well, that sounds like something that I would ask him to do. And if he didn't feel it was right, then the, you know, he can make his case or he could make his case back then. Um, I, that sounds like something that did actually happen. Like I, I, I I don't remember that. It's Mm. not fresh in my mind, but for me, um, yeah, I, I'm sure I, I was going for the 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 the, sha- the the more shallow, more melodramatic version of "Oh my God, I'm going to die!" Right, <laughs> right. And uh, and I'm, I'm I think what 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 happens is you get caught into this this thing where and, and I've I've seen other people talk about this on the show where they go, "This is the most amazing thing you've ever seen on the green screen," and the actors go, "Right." Well, uh, well, and I've, I've heard you talk about this and you're like, can you, can you be uh, just a little bit awe inspired? And I go, well, I've already seen ships and stuff blow up. And so how am I supposed to get excited? I was like, well, now we have a problem. Uh, uh, and th- this has nothing to do with Cliff, mm. although uh, kudos, kudos to Cliff for standing up for his character. And he's right. I mean, if he's one of hundreds of versions of himself, even though I think clones want to survive ultimately, um, that um, if he wants to die, if he wants to die in a dignified way, <laughs> it's hard for me as a filmmaker whose who, whose job is to be, to be visceral and to get the audience super excited about it. Yeah. Or if if you know, and all, all I can do after if you like, you don't want to scream. What am I going to do? I'll just go. Uh oh. Right. So, right. so I mean, so- what can I do? <laughs> Well, I'm about to die. I'm about to be engulfed in a fiery ball. Ball. Uh, here comes the fiery ball. I I, then, then I get called into the how come room. Oh, yeah. You say all, you hate the how come after, room. After they all watch the dailies, you know, in between burping and slurping while they're watching uh, during lunch, you know, watch the dailies. You get called them. How come you didn't have Cliff Simon do a big reaction? <laughs> He wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't. He wouldn't scream. He didn't well, feel I mean, that it was right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was like, yeah, he's right. You wouldn't scream. You're you're a combatant. You're a military. You're a dignified. But and suave. I was. He was more. Yes, so suave. Right. Um, he he was more sophisticated than I was, and he knew more about his character. And I, I'm glad he stood up for himself, and I'm glad I lost that that uh, that that. I'm glad he didn't scream. I mean, but can you imagine? I mean, there. I mean, there's been other. Uh, there's a bunch of Star Trek deaths where the where the ship blows up and stuff right. like that, where they. Uh, right, right, and then boom, and, it, and it, it, it's just more satisfying than people. Somebody going, oh, I'm about to die. Exactly. We we interviewed you so, during production of season nine, and I'll never forget this. It's just one of those things that like stuck did. in the back you of my brain. Me during season nine, right? Yeah, Ben and Claudia were with you at that point. It was just before. It was like around nine nine oh five nine oh six. And we were getting excited about the new season. You guys were hinting at the stuff that was coming. And for whatever reason, this has always stuck with me. You said, Ball is back. And his collars are taller and pointier than ever. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, well, like, would... that's perfect. Well they, well, they were. They were quite pointy, right? <laughs> they were like, and he would go. Exactly right. He couldn't. He couldn't go like that. He couldn't turn his head like that because he got a bunch of collar in his face. What, what's <laughs> happening? I'll have to turn like this. Yeah. He, yeah. He had some awesome collars, but I mean, to me, that was the thing. If you if you're watching with the sound off, that's what you would notice first, and then you'd go, "Oh my God, he's the most gorgeous man on the planet." In South Africa, and he's got high collars. Absolutely. Show and tell, season two of SG One. Much of this episode yes. hangs on the performance of young Jeff Golka. And this Charlie, is the guy who plays the little Charlie. That's yeah. exactly right, Charlie. And it's a it's a heavy visual effects episode where we're we're going after an enemy that's not there. Carmen Argenziano's in this one. Uh this is this is I think it's arguably a bottle show. I suppose you could call it that because it's mostly pretty much all at the base. Because it all takes place in the base. Pretty yeah. much, except for one off-world uh, shot where, you know, we go and see this huge field of nothing and then they point oh, their little the, thing the with the TER. Yeah, look, looking down looking down at the, the, the Valley of the Lobsters. Yes. The Valley <laughs> of Lobsters. That's about right. Any memories from Show and Tell? Another one we uh, lost. Carmen I remember. Argenziano. I remember working with with the uh, uh, little Charlie, mm. and uh, he was underage, so he, we had a time constraint on him. Which I I remember thinking in retrospect that that was a giant pain in the ass having to get him out on time. You know, having to juggle all the other things and also getting him out on time was. Uh, you know, I've since made friends with the idea. We, we you know you shoot the kid first always, or shoot the kid out. Always, and then maybe have a double, if if you need a double for a for an over the shoulder, over the shoulder shot onto somebody else. But the we had not planned our day in a in a way that made that made total took advantage of, of totally of, of working with a kid. And I remember specifically thinking, "Oh, I'm not going to get him out. I got to get my shots right away." <laughs> And then that was the that was when I played the machine gun guard. I, I, yes, I, you did. I'm you sure. picked around the peaked around the fifty okay? cal. Yeah. 
So what, 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 one of the things that happened was I read, I was reading the script and I saw that they were all in the control room. All of our core characters were in the control room and there was no speaking characters in the, the main, the, the gate room. And Charlie's character comes out, but he's just a little kid, right? And they correctly go, oh, but then I was like, it's going to take a while for them to come around to get all the way out from the control room, come all the way around into the gate room. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if a dude, like one of those hardcore machine gun dudes, looked around like, because I've got a giant weapon pointed at him. I'm like, is that a little kid that, that came out of the... And so I thought, wouldn't that be a le- an interesting level of intrigue if a gate guard, a machine gun guard, was like, I, I hope I'm not expected to shoot this little kid because I don't know if I can do it. And so I added that level. Of, I thought that would be a funny little sort of a elbow jab, but also it would create time for the for the for the core actors to come around. Come and uh, you know, also I had great respect for um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, who did a lot of cameos. Who, who that inspired for me? That's what inspired the cameos in the first place. That's why I was doing because I just thought. That could be fun. I'll just do some care. I'll put myself here or there. I'll put myself in a in a piece of art or a or a or a file folder. Or a file photo, and, yeah. <laughs> like the Russians. Yeah. Well, that I mean, funny. But, but but Hitchcock did all those things way before I did, mm. you know, way before it was uh, a trendy. Like he was the, he was the trendsetter, right? And I was like, maybe we could do that. Maybe <laughs> I could do that a couple of times. More than a few, and they're great because, like Hitchcock, you have no speaking lines. You know, it's just like blink and you'll miss him. You know, and it's it's uh, uh, who was it that did the pineapples? Um, Will Waring. Will Waring. That's right, Pineapple Man. You know, there's just certain things that's just like, oh, it's a Will episode. There's a pineapple. You know, it's good stuff. This is one of the benefits of being a long time viewer. uh, Will Waring. Will Waring. I think that came from when he used to operate. Prior to that, he would uh, he would invariably not not only sneak pineapples in, but also uh, camera equipment like the the pan the pan wheel and stuff like that. They would just hide it in the background. And there was another show that was shot on the on the Bridge uh, Studios as well um, called Outer Limits. And because it was Canadian, and this was the Canadian uh, incarnation of it, they would hide a hockey puck uh, in, <laughs> in various shots. And so every once in a while. If you for the keen eyed viewers of of the uh, second generation uh, at our limits, you would see a hockey puck, and you go, "Why, why is there a hockey puck there?" And then I remember uh, vividly this wonderful story about the the line producer coming out and screaming at the crew, "There's no justification for a hockey puck to be on a buffet table. Now stop it!" <laughs> and I always said that that was quite quite funny. I was like, "Yeah." You take your chances. You put the hockey book wherever you can. That's Another great. excellent series. Brad and Jonathan were involved in that one, too. I think for the first three seasons of SG-1, they were also co-producing Outer Limits. So they had their plates full. Yeah, yeah. so the, the, the way I heard the story was they were both co-writing, producing Outer Limits. And Stargate, the movie, came out with uh, James Spader and Kurt Russell. And they both independently recognized that that was a great, great way, uh, uh, device uh, rather, for a series because mm. you, there's a there's a there's a slang expression in in storytelling story writing where it's called the door in. What is the door into the story? 
Well, the door in is quite literally a door to another planet, right? And you don't have to get bogged down. And you don't have to get bogged down with, uh, it's not unlike time tunnel. How, how great time tunnel was a great idea. You can just go back and time to anywhere you wanted. But um, they both independently recognized that the show, which was being done by MGM, would be a great vehicle for a series because you have a door in to any planet you want and you don't have to get bogged down with spaceships and space. You're just, you walk through and you're there, right? And so it's cost, per, per, uh, it's cost. Friendly, uh, yeah. It makes sense. It, 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 it's cost friendly and you can you can invest in, well, the, the greatest part about Star Trek was all the different cultures that you were coming up on, right? And so, so you'd go to a different culture and you'd, and you'd, and you'd see, you know, and I, and I know a lot of people made fun of the fact that there was a lot of woodland areas, but we, we, <laughs> That's we, we had to work with. Well, we, we always, we always thought that, you know, there was a terraforming device, you know, like it, it was, it was good enough for Star Trek. It's good enough for us. We'll have a terraforming thing. We've, we've, uh, we've already explained in, 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 in Stargate, the movie that humanoid, people have been brought to other From planets Earth. to populate them. Now you've got all these different cultures that were inspired by historical gods of our planet, right? So you've got, you can just throw it that way, that way, that way. So any era, any era on earth or any, uh, any, any um, God mythology that you had was open game for, uh, for the show. So any planet, because if a Goa world was going to take over a planet and they had to assume a, a god like a, a, a thing to, to manipulate pe- uh, people to be slave labor, that's what that, that's what mm-hmm. made sense, right? And then so you had that was the base, and then you went off in every different direction from there, right? Which, which I thought was a, a great idea. It's, yeah, so did a lot of fans and, for 17 seasons. Well, that well. The other part of it, and I, I think I've heard you talk about it on other on other uh, podcasts, were that uh, the 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 issue of speaking English yes came up. So, um, and then you correctly pointed out that Star Trek tried to deal with that a little bit with the with the you universal too. translator, mm-hmm. except but, I mean they, they never did it perfectly because the your mouth. The actor's mouth is not right. forming a different word. It's forming the exact word that you're seeing. So then yet another layer of, of intrigue has to come up with there. Well, you're not actually seeing the mouth forming <laughs> the word that it's actually forming. That's you're true. watching the mouth form a different, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an illusion that the inner soul was like, what, well, how, what? And this is the other thing is, uh, uh, uh to bridge, right? You'd hit the thing. Right, Jordy the Bridge. Beep, beep, beep. You're like, does everybody hear that? Is it right. just the one guy who hears that on their show? And so there was a certain amount of conceit. Like, eh, we don't have to get into it. Like, and maybe the you know, maybe this thing is smart enough. It goes, oh, to bridge. You want to go to bridge? Are you? So that means it's not it's not the exact time. It has to figure out what, who you want to talk exactly. to. Exactly. There has to be a lag because for for it to go there's somewhere. A short, there's a tiny lag. So on on uh, it's not. If you watch the first ones, you'll see that you know the the Unas are speaking Unas, right? And and uh, and the Goa'uld have their own language, and then so does the Jaffa. They have their own languages, which was in and the show was kind of based on ancient Egyptian that James Spader was able to help uh, you know, right. figure out. 
But almost immediately, every if you don't all speak English, almost immediately, every single episode becomes nanu nanu. What do you say? Is that burning burning? What? I don't know what burning burning means. Oh God! How much of this can we take? Burning burning again. Click. You, you know the show's off, right? Nobody right. wants to hear. What's he saying again? Let's get to the story. Right? You know, let's and get to the story. You have and you play with <laughs> it in Wormhole Extreme too. You know, when um, Jill Teed comes up to you guys and says, "Okay, I'm out of phase. Why don't I fall through the floor?" And it's that great beat where everyone's like, "Yeah, it's perfect." I have no answer. <laughs> well, and, and also, I mean, if you had if you had just watched, you know, a wonderful movie, uh, Ghost, right? Right. Where you everybody had watched Patrick Swayze, where the commonality was the floor, and so this this was fine, but you could walk through this anytime you wanted, right? You go through <laughs> the door, it was fine, but nobody sank through the floor, and it was like, yeah, that's. And you, every once in a while, you get Paul Mully or, or, or Joe, uh, Paul and Joe. They go, you know, they they never explain that, right? right? So that so it ends up in the movie because because that's a conceit that we're all just going to the, the commonality is the floor, and we're not gonna we're not gonna go past that. It, right? And there, if I may, like to have a quick aside, there there is a, a an app online, and I can't remember what it's called. It's basically a, a choose your own adventure movie, and one of them is where you know people once they die they become ghosts and they can only stand on the physical ground so anytime that they go into buildings they're like here and they can't go upstairs yes and it's it's an interesting storytelling tool but it's also very distracting and it's like you know what i'm just glad for most sci-fi stuff you just don't deal with it their feet their the bottoms of their shoes are exempt they're able to walk wherever they do and often perch themselves yeah. up in strange corners in the rooms as well i don't know why that's a thing but we do that too so you know it's just there's well, just the, certain the, things that you have to do to make the story work well and and if 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 in the sixth sense that was the case, then M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong would be out of luck, right? Be like, oh, that guy's totally ghost. He's up to here in his chest in the counter. I, that's a dead giveaway, right? So, so, um, when, when, uh, uh, to that end, I actually had an episode where we did that, where, where, you, where uh, Ben Browder was out of phase. Correct. Carter, right? Right. And I had him fall, I had him fall into a counter. Uh, James uh, James Titchener w- w- was the supervising Visifex, vis- vis- and I had him I had him fall back and then come up. It, there was a counter right there, like a like a rolling island, like you would expect to see in a in a uh, in a kitchen mm. uh, in the lab. And I had him poke his head up through the like this, <laughs> and James Titchener went, "What are you doing?" I go, "Well, it's funny, right?" Like it looks hilarious. He's out of phase, and he's like, he's out of phase all the way up to here in the thing. And he's like, okay, but he wasn't ready for that. He's like, oh, uh, I didn't really I think we were going to do that. Okay, we'll we'll figure that out. You know, have to make it work with what you and have. And then now, yeah. And come to think of it, we we would have had to have shot a clean plate with the, with the thing rolled out of the way anyway. It may have not. I don't recall it being in the show. I don't recall it making that. Maybe, maybe they, maybe they overruled me and took it out because it's too, <laughs> too, uh, too advanced, too ahead of its time. You, know, you have to pick your battles. You know, if it's with actors or it's with visual effects, you know, you can't die on every hill. I'm sure that's something you know that no, you, you're, all of you're your directors right. have to realize long ahead of time. It's like what, what am I going to say? Put my foot down and say we have to make this work for the story that I want to tell. So. 
yeah, there's the kiss principle. Keep it simple, st stupid. Uh, or, but the, but you but you still have to. It still has to be entertaining, right? To a certain extent. So there's a balance between. And uh, Andy Makita talked about this too. With it, once in a while you'd get a you get a script like the, all the scripts were pretty darn good. But every once in a while you'd get one that was just okay. You're like, how can I distract the audience? Because then man, now it's about execution, right? I'm going to distract the audience a little bit so that they, they're they invested in what's happening. Like, how can I raise the stakes so that they're invested in what's happening and not not distracted by how simple or, or transparently, uh, you know, uh, simple this, this story is. Made. So you add it would add a, a layer of intrigue uh, to it you know, where – what, there would be a cool shot, or or the, you'd show the humanity of a particular character mm -hmm. when they when they died or thought they were going to die, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then bring it bring bring the stakes back. Absolutely, because that was a balancing act too. Because I mean, how many times have you seen on the show where somebody was pointing a weapon at one of our core characters and they were flipped and you know they, they didn't they weren't intimidated, right? And it was so a that, staple that of Rick's comedy. Absolutely, right? So they, so. <laughs> If you do that too much, then it's then it becomes cartoonish, where, right. where the audience goes, "Oh, he'll be fine. It'll be great. It'll, right. it'll all work out in the end." I have fan questions for you, Peter. I like fan questions. Here we go. Gate Gabber wants to know: Were you a sci-fi fan growing up, and if so, uh, which series did you like? Yes. What's what's this dude's name? Gate Gabber. It's my co-producer, Gabber Linda. Oh. I love it. What's this lady's name? Linda. Linda. Big shout out to Linda. Linda! Uh, Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I love Planet of the Apes. I know that's not uh, pure sci-fi, but man, I love, when I was a little kid, I just loved Planet of the Apes. And um, I loved Star Trek growing up. I... My my dad somehow my dad got his hands on the three quarter inch tape of the bloopers of Star Trek, and uh, we just thought that was the greatest thing wow. the, of of the of the bloopers way back then when 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 cassette tapes were this thick and it took a while for it to spool up. Yeah, we just loved that. Um, I also loved Wild Wild West. Yeah. I thought that that was a really cool show uh, when I was, and Mission Impossible. I, I was uh, quite, I really liked Mission Impossible. Uh, uh, Combat, uh, Vic Moreau. Um, what else did I like? Um, I watched Time Tunnel, but not, I mean, I only watched a few of those. Mm. And, Oh, oh, you know what I love? Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and also I loved um, it. Incredible Journey. Okay. I love Incredible Journey so much. I used to read uh, Heinlein books. Yeah. I, I, I read all the Heinlein books. I thought those were pretty cool. And uh, did I answer the question? Yes, you did. It's mostly Star Trek. I watched every single Star Trek a lot. That's what I did. Yeah. Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea came on late night, I think Saturday nights, and, and I loved that show. It was Star Trek Under the Sea, just like you know, Sequest. It was, it was, it was the, Star Trek Under the, the Sea. Flying sub, yeah, it totally was. Yeah, absolutely. So those are those all had an influence on me for sure. Yeah. Carlos Takeshi, is there a shot or scene 
that you weren't able to get into one of uh, your Stargate episodes, but just really wish that you could. That's not an, yeah, that's, there's a lot of episodes. Uh, Yeah. There was that I had uh, created a rig uh, for warrior. uh, I helped, I co-created a rig uh, with Ray Douglas and his team. Uh, which was called the revolver shot uh, camera rig, where we would we would spin it around very yes. fast, and we were simulating in, in a practical effect of that uh, that they had done in in, uh, in Matrix, right? And that was our, our goal. And I had hoped to do that again uh, for for the shot where um, where Rich, Richard Dean Anderson was was going around in a circle with his machine gun. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Remember, in, uh, remember that? Yes. In Allegiance in season six with the, that was Dan yeah, Payne's so first episode. Alle- That's right. So in Allegiance, I had hoped that we would use that rig as well for that. And then uh, uh, it was uh, cost prohibitive. So they, they overruled me and they said no. So that's my fast. My quick answer to that was I wanted to use the revolver shot rig for that again. But it was there was a huge amount of setup and it was it was quite pricey to get that done so they they correctly overruled me and said no is that also in that scene i've heard maybe it's maybe it's myth but uh that rick used basically an entire season's production budget of bullets in that in that sequence i don't doubt it Uh, we use the saw right so i had the big the big uh the the sea can uh you know the the hundred shot uh, can of the what the, the 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 squad the, the squad weapon and as an alternative to the device that I wanted, I made, I made, I made Jim Van Dyke, who was the, the steady cam operator counter rotate. Mm. So as, as Richard Dean Anderson went around this way in slow motion with the spraying the bullets, I had Jim Van Dyke go around the other way and there was no way around it. I mean, he was using practical. I wanted to see the the shells flying and yeah. going crazy and everything. Cause this was the, this was the absolute pinnacle of the whole episode, right? This was the big, this was Richard Dean Anderson figuring it out and making it right. You know, and, and, and fixing this, you know, having a solution to the problem, right? Cause of this invisible foe, right? Yeah. He's tired of everyone and, being killed over this thing. It's like, okay, I'm putting matters in my own hands. So, so Jim Van Dyke had, a plexi thing in, on his face and he had a huge body armor in front of his body, right? All the way down. And he, and he, and he had gloves on and Richard Dean Anderson was shooting. And you remember the, the, the shells were rolling out and they, they counter rotated each other, which made it look pretty cool. And we were shooting at a, at a, we were over cranking, which means yes. we were shooting more film, which meant that it was going to be shown in slow motion. That's when, way back when, when we were still shooting film back then. And uh, we shot it once and it didn't go to plan. It didn't happen the way I had hoped. And so we were, there was going to be a take two. And so we, we got not a whole rotation, but part of a rotation, either it was a gun jam or, or, or didn't, it didn't happen quite the way I had hoped. And, uh, I remember looking at Jim Van Dyke, who is, you know, a real mensch. He was a, it was an awesome dude for, for doing the shot. But I'm, I, I'm sure he was like, this doesn't seem safe. You're spraying bullets across my body, which you generally don't do. But this is how I wanted to get the shot, right? So 
we, we, we made it safe for him, but his whole body was vibrating. I remember after the shot, his whole body, he had such an adrenaline rush. And, um, and I looked at the, the, the padding on his body and on his hand, and there were these little uh, marks where the, where the, uh, the flash had come out, maybe uh, burning um, com uh, compression caps or something that, that had, had sort of made marks on his body. And I was like, wow. Does, does that hurt? And he, and he didn't realize that they was like, no, I didn't feel that. I'm just trying yeah. to rush. And okay. I said, uh, uh, can you do it again? And he said, yeah, I, I feel bad now. Cause I was thinking he probably didn't feel like he could say no. And it was a pretty cool shot. Um, but we got, we ultimately got the shot of, of Richard Dean Anderson doing a full 360, the, the muzzle flash, the shells flying. And uh, I mentioned the, uh, the lunchtime, the next day daily, the they used to eat lunch. They would, they would eat lunch. They'd go, I go like this and they go, that shot sucks. <laughs> well, that's pretty funny. <laughs> well, that's okay. No, no, no. I ruined that joke. Right. That's, that's how they would watch. We'd be killing ourselves to make, get this footage to them. And they, in between burping and slurping, they go, yeah, they kind of got that right. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> And uh, I and, and you ask Joe next time you uh, talk to him, Malazzi. ask him to deny it. Ask him to deny <laughs> okay. it. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Do you think we need to reshoot that or right? No, I don't know. No. Uh, so, well, I I actually I ran up there because I wanted to see what their impression was of of the dailies of that shot. And Richard Dean Harrison going. And it's the big pinnacle, and, and I'm sure and I'm thinking, imagine this with the music and the thing, and the this is the big moment where Richard Dean Anderson saves the day, the giant hero. And while the shot's going and the shells are flying off in every direction, Robert Cooper goes, Richard Dean Anderson is the new poster boy for the NRA. And I was like, oh, he's yeah, yeah, it is kind of pro-gun, which was an unfortunate. You know, maybe we should have done it with lasers. Yeah, because well, given I the circumstances, you know, you're going to use what you anti got. So, well, of course, but I mean, because I'm I'm originally from the United States, and so I was like, well, this is what was in the script, and it never occurred to me that I was being pro pro gun to solve your problems. But I was like, oh, it's kind of that. It does kind of feel like he's the poster boy for the NRA, and so. There was a, there was there was a small part of me died in that moment when Robert correctly pointed out that we Burst were flying machine guns. Yeah, but but it was a cool shot, and I I stand by it. But I had but I had originally intended for it to be the revolver shot that we used on Warrior during the big mm. uh, Capoeira uh, fighting, and the correct pronunciation is Capoeira. Capoeira. Yes, the 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 fights the fighting style the Brazilian yes. fighting style is called Capoeira. Got yeah. it. We had Rick Worthy on. He was word. amazing. Yeah. Just it's, yeah. what what a brilliant actor. What a brilliant choice for that role. I watched I watched that all the way from start to finish, and I was like, "Come on, man, talk about me. Tell him how great I am." <laughs> and he did this much, but he—I mean, what he's does that guy's voice oh, sound like man. butter toast or what? Oh, I could I, I could listen, listen to him, to him read, read the, the phone book, the dictionary. Yeah, yeah the absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I would not say that this but would be easy. He, you will be free, oh, Jafar. Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that. Yeah, with Christopher what Judge as the as the story as yeah. a story by. 
Great show. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, I, I wrote that speech is what I'm saying. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great one. Uh, Eva Lipinska, what is the funniest commentary of the commentaries that you did for Stargate? What's, what's your favorite? I mean, of me, you want me to be, you want me to compliment me? Well, I mean, they're all wonderful. <laughs> Let's say, let's I, say for people who haven't listened to the DVD commentaries, who hopefully still have the DVD sitting somewhere, which one would you would you suggest that they pull out and listen to the DVD commentary? That's how I that was how I think that she's she's phrasing it. Well, well, I I think they're all. Uh, I think uh, this is what I I suggest. I, I can't tell you which is the funniest, but if you take your your favorite episode. If you're if you're looking for commentary that I did, you know, just I would just go watch your favorite episode and then and watch the commentary. Because what I would do, the, the reason I'm answering it this way is because I have no recollection of what was the funniest. Okay. Because I couldn't I couldn't answer that. It's I been a while. I can't give that any. I can't credibly answer that question. Um, but um, what I would do is when it when it when it came when it came to be my turn, I if. If they were available, you know, I would call uh, Gary Jones and Dan Shea and or, and I would ask them to 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 come because I would not I want to want to bounce off of somebody. Mm. But sometimes I would do them all by myself. And um, I, my 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 thought process was these are very dry and they can be incredibly boring. And part of the and I wasn't being paid any more money. For that I was doing it out of the the, the gener- generosity of my out of my heart, right? and and also the love of filmmaking. I was mm. doing it for that, but the, but but the, the the upside of that was when when somebody had to decide whether they were going to rent or buy the disc. If if they if they were going to rent it, they wouldn't have time to listen to the filmmakers' commentary. So they so they, what they found was if it had deleted scenes in filmmakers commentary people would tend to buy what we call sell through units they would tend to buy the unit so they they would make more money on that on that labor right and so i was like yeah i'm i'm, I'm happy to do that you don't have to compensate me for that but i was going to have fun doing it and i was going to do something dry or boring uh either so i and i'm a huge fan of mystery science 3 2000 uh, <laughs> so i was like yeah i'm totally going to go there and i did as much as i could yeah. absolutely Goran Andonowski, out of all the Stargate shows that you directed, which one stands out as your favorite? Well, Ergo, yeah. Ergo for sure, because I got to work with my dad and it was so funny. And I, I think a lot of people have that in there. I know, I know Window of Opportunity is uh, is a huge uh, fan favorite as well. That huge. was That was a joy. Not, not a lot of people, uh, and, and of course, uh, Wormhole Extreme, because I got to work with my brother Mike. And, that was about it. and, 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 you know, and I got to work with my brother David in, a, in an episode that I wrote and directed. So that was kind of cool too. Uh, well, working with my family was always a highlight. I know window of opportunity, which whenever I read the fan, when I read the fan uh, thing, I, I see, I see this yes. and I go, what is woo? What is what you mean? Oh, oh, it's window of opportunity again. It <laughs> <So, laughs> comes up so weird... often they created a shorthand for it. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, not a lot of people. I don't. I watched. I watched you do a. I watched you do a, a, an episode on that, and then I was like, "Well, I don't know if this was covered, but 
it became obvious almost immediately because of the Groundhog Day thing that when you do Groundhog, you don't have a, a gazinta or a gazada, which is slang for people walking up and going, going, right? So, so you just start as late as you can, which was the door opening or him eating uh, Fruit Loops. And we had to glue the Fruit Loops so that they would all be in the exact <laughs> same spot every time. And that's why we glued them. I, I know that they came up before us because I actually brought that up in the concept meeting. And you go, like, what do you mean you have to glue them? I said, well, if the green one's on the tip and uh, this time, but if the green one's on, on, the, on the back and the next time, then everybody's going to know it's different. You have to glue it yeah. to the thing. So he couldn't. Time resets right in the middle of the pickup of the of the spoon. That's right. So it had to be exact. And so that's where my head was. And everybody went, you could see them all go, oh, yeah, it's going to have to be glued. You can't move. And Rick drops it on the third one. So, I mean, they have to be on there pretty good. I I think I'm, I'm pretty sure we had I'm pretty sure we had multiples. And if we didn't, then that would have been a mistake. But it was definitely <laughs> not going to move. It was those Fruit Loops were on that spoon the way they were exactly supposed to be. But one of the things that happened when I, when you talked to Joe about uh, Wu, Wu, the the that it became clear almost immediately that we were going to come in under, which was very rare that that we were going to ever come in under. And and so I went upstairs and I said, "Hey." Uh, our timing is coming way under. We're going to have to come up with more stuff for the montage to think. So some of the things that came up was the juggling. Like I just asked him, what, what can you do? And Chris and RDA go, I go, can you guys juggle? Which is something I ask actors all the time. Cause if they can, I'm like, Hey, that'd be cool. And they both could juggle. I was like, wow. let's have you juggle. Right. <laughs> so they, they really do juggle in real life. I said, well, let's do that. And then, um, the bike going to the thing. Hey, Vern, the bicycle thing that right. was new. The, the 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 golf thing that was all made up after the fact. Wow. And I think the Callaway golf bag. I think I think um, I think Brad wanted a new uh, golf set, golf club <laughs> set. So he he was like, Hey, if we put Callaway and we put this nice bright light, you know, shining right right on the Callaway uh, bag. And and so that was heavily featured, and and I think Brad ended up with the Callaway bag. In, in, in the <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So let me. Yeah, so so we had to come up with a whole bunch wow. of extra little things to fill out the time, which made it even more fun, right? So th- so this is news to me. So the montage was planned, but it was not supposed to be as long as it was. It, w- it was not nearly uh, as extensive. I thought the montage was created from whole cloth because it was short. Okay. Did you know that you were? Well, it was because we were short. I don't yeah. know how much of the montage was, but it was definitely you can't do a you can't do a, you can't do a time loop. You can't do a, a Groundhog Day or and then there's yeah. this new wonderful one with Adam Adam Sandler, uh, not Adam Sandler, Adam. Uh, but was it called Palm Springs? That's a good one. Okay, that that one that just came out on Netflix. I highly recommend that. You one. have to experiment with your situation, and that's what that montage does. Totally, a, totally. Just I go to town. So, did you know that you had a gem when you were directing that one? Especially with Rick's speech uh, at the end. I I I I didn't know how well received it would be, but I did know. Uh, there was some, it, it was very dramatic at the end. And oh, by the way, the act, the, the lovely lady at the end, whose wife of the, of the, of the guy of Robin, mm-hmm. uh, that is Nicole. 
who was the wife of Peter West, our DP, who was also the head of accounting. And and wow. she was the the vision. She was the she was the wife that that, that he was trying the to say. The little thing that he pulls out, yeah. That's yeah. that's right. What a great solid show. Trace I, I did not know I thought I thought people might like it, but I didn't know how much they would like it. It's brilliant. It's 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 top five easily. Tracy wanted to know, is there a project that you would like to work on yet that you haven't had an opportunity to explore before? Uh, yes, I, I would like to work on a show, um, uh, a single camera comedy, uh, you know, uh, like uh, something like a Schitt's Creek or a, or a, or a The Office. I know that that's a bit of a cliche because everybody always says The Office. Uh, extras comes to mind. Um where where the where the the little guy the underdog is is being championed, but it but it but you but it's uh, rife with the humanity and and, mm. the, and the comedy. Yeah, there's uh, so much good television on now. You know, I think we're really yes, entering a golden is. age for of, of TV because we're finally telling. You know, the miniseries has finally caught fire. I was a huge fan of the Stephen King miniseries, the ABC miniseries of of nine of the nineties, and you know, we're finally really you know, catching up. I to just, that. I just watched the stand, the one that that just came on. The, it's wonderful. The Very new good. one you like? You you like the new one? Yeah. I haven't awesome. started it yet. I'm I'm a I'm a Corin loyalist for one thing, so I'll we'll see. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um. Well, you, you, you can watch it and then not tell anybody. I won't, I won't tell. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, what was your experience working on Sanctuary like? Chantal Leo wants to know. Sanctuary was, was pretty cool because it has a, a sort of a, a steampunk version of uh, Men in Black, uh, that kind of feel to it, right? And uh, uh, Damien Kindler and Amanda Tapping and uh, Martin Wood uh, were the... Uh, the uh, showrunners on that, and that, and that, I thought that that was a great, and they, and they were, they so they pretty much made that happen for themselves, which I thought was, which was amazing. Um, I enjoyed the 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 noir, the the old timey uh, feel of it. I thought the uh, at one point during the uh, the sizzle reel, there was one the first little bit that when it was going to be. Originally, it was conceived that it would be a um, an internet show or like a web show, mm-hmm. and uh, it was before its time, and, mm-hmm. and they couldn't get, make that work, and so they they just made a proper show out of it. And uh, yeah, I if I had a hat on, I would tip it to them. That's uh, oh, I've got my dad's hat here. This is it. Hey. I, I tip my tap. I, I tip my hat to them because they really made that happen. I think Ryan Robbins, what an amazing uh, dude! Uh, Robin, yeah, uh, he's brilliant. Robin Dunn, Robin Dunn, and uh, of course Chris Hiredal. Oh my God, I love that guy. Guy's brilliant. We're wanting to get him on the show, so one of these days. Um, what do you think of uh, Peter De- of Peter Dulles? I'm talking with Peter Dulles. Uh, Jet Ison. Peter Dulles is awesome. Very handsome. <laughs> Maiku, uh, what what do you think of uh, Teal'c becoming the god of war? Christopher Judge is now Kratos. I couldn't be happier for him. He's got uh, an amazing voice. He's uh, an excellent uh, actor and. Um, 
I thought I thought that that was um, that was a long time coming because he he's such an amazing voice actor anyway. I mean, he's a, a wonderful actor in general, but the but he's a he's a he's a very gifted voice actor, and his his uh, his voice is is exactly the kind of power you need for that character. So I thought that that was that was very appropriate. So I'm happy for. I wanted to know, Peter. Last before I let you go, would you do Dagwood for? You gonna me? let me go? Yeah, I've got to bring Elise on in a minute here. Oh, Elise, of course. She's awesome. She Tell is. her hi from me. I will. You can say hello to her if you stay on for a second. Okay. Yeah. What? So what? What was the what was the question? Could you do Dagwood for me? Oh, you want me to do Dagwood for you? So Dagwood, uh, one of the things that I did uh, with Dagwood, because he was new to the world around him, and because I, I, I imagine because he was the prototype, it hadn't got quite gotten him right. So I would I would make my voice be in my throat, and I used uh, my niece at the time had just started talking, and one of the things that she, we'd say 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 Dada, and she'd go mm, Dada. So she like warm up her vocal cords and then say it right, and I was like, well, I'm going to use that. <laughs> and so I imagine that the vocal cords weren't quite fully developed, and so I, I was saying, Dag was a Dag was a prototype. I'm the prototype, and that's why I'm here, right? And then I was also I was also thinking of uh, Lenny from Of Mice and Men. <laughs> right but his, right. his his youthful his inner his inner child coming out and being just just in, in, impressed with everything and having his own little uh speech uh problem so if somebody were to say to him hold on and he didn't understand what that meant like he, invariably people hold on to a bulkhead so i just went like i didn't know what that was right and um <laughs> i also knew that my character would have been trained not unlike the soldier that Kurt Russell played in, um, uh, I guess it's called The Soldier, right? Is that think... the one where he soldier? I'm trying to remember. I'm not it's not Universal sure. Soldier, but yeah. So, it, but yeah. so he was bred to be a, a humanoid combatant, right? Right. That's why I said H A C on my chest. Yes, was humanoid humanoid assisted combat H A C, which was really. I had stolen the shirt from the Hollywood Athletic Club, <laughs> and I, we couldn't come up with it. So they, what, you never really saw what it said until when I when I finally undid it, they 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 recreated the Hollywood Athletic Club shirt and made it HAC and then put a, a, a strip on the bottom and in humanoid assisted combat. So we made it make sense after that. Yeah, I was watching. But looking... I would, that would does that would, I would, I would. All my voice was coming from here. And sometimes I would scream to make my, my voice a little bit rough. David, I really enjoy being on your show. It's the best. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It was tremendous having you. I'd love to have you back at some point here in the future. There are so many stories to tell, and it's been a blast uh, having you on, truly. Well, I've enjoyed myself hanging out with you. And the fact that you do this show without... Uh, Pants is just extraordinary. I think it's We amazing. weren't supposed to tell anyone that. <laughs> I do have pants. They're just not long. <laughs> Peter DeLuise, my friend, uh, it means so much to me to have you on. Be well, sir. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Which is which is what my what my niece would say as well. We'd say thank you. Welcome. Welcome. So when, when I when I say when I blew the ballast and I saved the whole ship and and Roy Scheider said, "Dang, when you did it, thank you." Welcome. Actually, he says. Actually, he says very good, and you say thank you. <laughs> In that particular scene, are you scene. sure? Are you, are, you, are you sure I didn't say welcome? Prove me wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My friend. I'll catch you. If you want to stick around for Elise, um, she's going to be coming in in just a couple of minutes here. I'm going to wrap up the show, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Catch you in a minute, man. Peter Deloise, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying the program. We have a new giveaway for the month of April. Dial the Gate is partnered with Big J Customs Art for the month of April to give you a chance to get your very own custom pop figure. To enter to win one, you just need a desktop or laptop computer to visit dialthegate.com. Scroll down to submit trivia questions and your trivia that you submit to us may be used in a future episode of Dial the Gate. Please note the submission form does not currently work for mobile devices. Your trivia must be received before uh, May the 1st, 2021. And if you're the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email to get your address and be sure to check out our partner's website at bigjcustomsart.com we have elise levesque coming up in just a few moments here so we're going to go ahead and uh, get the show ready for her if you like the program please consider clicking that like button uh, leaving a comment sharing some love uh, share this with a uh, stargate fan if you uh if you have one in your life. Hopefully all of you have one in your life. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks again for my moderating team. You guys are the, uh, the best. And thank you again to Peter DeLuise for making this show possible. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner. Co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Dial the Gate.